Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. Okay, I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Te Whanganuiatara, where I am recording today. So you you tell me about your week because it's your birthday, so you get to go first. Oh well, I've had a, like such a crazy week to be honest. I feel a bit underprepared for today's episode because um, started off really well, really keen, did all the reading, and then my landlord was like, "Oh, I've decided to move back to New Zealand," and I, mm. being a kind soul, was like, "Well, I don't mind terminating my lease early if you need to move back." And she's like, oh, cool. Okay, so before Christmas? And I'm like... That's really soon. Oh, my gosh. That's not what I anticipated. I thought maybe she'd say, like, January or something, you know? Um, So I'm like, well, it depends if I can find another flat. Um, If I can, then, of course, the rental market in Wellington is super competitive. So I couldn't get any viewings. Like, all the places I wanted to view were all full. Um, But then one person I'd asked if they could view their house called me and said I've just had a cancellation if you want to come look at it tonight so I went round looked at it got on really well with her and the place was really cute and she was like well you're my preferred candidate and I got it the next day so now I'm moving on the 17th of December so (laughs) oh my gosh see um yeah so just kind of working through all that so that was a roller coaster but then today I've just had the most wonderful day and I just feel really delighted by everything and I had a big breakfast with my friends like a brunch with my what I call my surrogate parents here in Wellington um and my friend Meredith gave me some beautiful earrings and a big bunch of peonies and it's just like beautiful and delightful and then we had mimosas in the sun and I'm having top us with my friend Emily after this after we record that sounds like an amazing day I know it's so good I just feel hashtag blessed <laughs> you are hashtag blessed and happy birthday again thank you very much I got a card to call for your package this morning so Ooh. I'll go collect it on Monday yay I am excited much. you're very kind I am excited to see if you like it I'm sure I will love it because it's from you well yes I mean I am amazing <laughs> Well, you gave me my, my most cherished possession, which is my quilt. So, you know, you don't never have to give me a birthday present. You've already done that. Pay it forward like a million yeah, years. Yeah, but <laughs> you actually took a train from London to Paris for my birthday one year. So, like, you're amazing as well. You know, I got served a Facebook memory for that the other day. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Remember when we did that? Remember when we could do that? <laughs> you could see things together. That was such a nice day. How was your week? Yeah, I think it was pretty good. It- I just want my kids to be home already so I can have them all to myself all of the time. Oh, how nice. It's nice that you love them. <laughs> I do. I really like them. I really like them. So you had breakfast. I see on your best three that you had an amazing breakfast today. Yeah. I want to hear about it. It was like a, a ricotta pancake situation with her hazelnut praline and lots of berries. And it was just lovely. Well, I keep thinking when I visit you, I'm going to bring my able skiver pan and make you able skivers. Oh, yes, please. Sign me up. Yeah. They are so good. And you can stay with me in my new house. 
Is it a whole house? Yeah, so it's like a, an old kind of, you know, Victorian era cottage that's been split in two. So there's a one bedroom flat in the back and I've got a two bedroom flat in the front. And it's got a little sunroom like off one of the bedrooms that I'm going to turn into my plant slash yoga room. And it's, you know, hardwood floors and a really nice kitchen and really small, but I think I'm going to be really happy. And it's like in the in the suburbs so it's a lot quieter than where i am currently but it also has a view of the cemetery so i'm like hmm, hauntings i can review them from my living room <laughs> wait the cemetery that's split with that big highway no not that one ah because i've been to that one and it's very cool that is a cool cemetery yeah it's weird that they just put a highway through the middle of it but you... yeah it's a bit <laughs> okay wellington you do you what have you eaten delightfully this week it's so hot I went out and got ice cream yesterday, and so I had an entire pint of Chunky Monkey yesterday. <laughs> I mean, just... fair enough. What are you supposed so to do? Good. It's the best flavor of Ben & Jerry's ice cream. It's got little chocolate bits. It tastes like fake banana. It's got walnuts in. That's basically, that's a health food. That's banana and walnuts. Yes, exactly. So I was inspired by your banana slice from last ah, time. Yes. So. What media have you consumed this week that excited you? So I've been listening to a lot of like moody, sad-ish music. I've just been really wanting to feel my feelings. Mm-hmm. I did get onto this song, Send the Rain, by Noah Gunderson, which is just so beautiful. And it has that sort of like slow build thing where it just gets a little bit more and more and more intense. Mm-hmm. I wrote that it um, splits me open at the breastbone and Aww. burrows in the space around my heart. How delightful. I mean, sad, but also delightful. That's kind of what I love about music is when it makes you like, you know, hits you right in the feels. It should have an impact. It should make you feel something. What about you? Have you been watching or listening to anything good? Well, I've binged all of She-Ra after we talked about it. So, yeah. So good. Basically over two weeks, I just watched it. I love shows like that because, you know, it's 20 minute episodes. So it's just perfect like for me to have a dinner and watch a couple of episodes and I don't lose my whole evening and I get to watch like three episodes mm. in a night and yeah so I really enjoyed it I was very like satisfied by the conclusion I'm like yes that is what I needed I am at peace with that because sometimes you know when a show ends you're like what have you done so <laughs> yeah that's most shows um did you have a standout moment this week oh yes I did uh my youngest mm-hmm. uh he has a rashy foot oh, no my daughter gets fevers, and my son always gets rashes. This is just how it goes. He's the one who gets eczema. He's the one who has welts up from mosquitoes. That's him. So he has a rashy foot, and it got pretty bad. So we took him to the doctor, and we got this cream. So we're putting this cream on him. And we put this cream on him at night. And because we put sun cream on him in the mornings, this is now called moon cream. Aww. <laughs> because it's for nighttime. So that's going in the Familect. And it has been tickling me every day to talk to him and say, okay, time to put on your moon cream. Okay, mom. Foot up. Ready to go. Just love it. How about you? What was your moment? That's adorable. Um, My moment is that we got to play with some puppies at work for our team Christmas outing. So we went to look at these adorable puppies. So they were five weeks old, like one lot of them. And the other lot was six weeks old. They were just so cute. Like I'm a dog person and I love dogs so much. Dogs are amazing. It's just absolute pure joy when I'm like holding a dog. I kind of forget about everything. Someone gives me a dog and I'm like, yes, a puppy. And you know, they've got that puppy smell and they're so soft and they've got their baby fur coats and it's just tiny bundles of fluff i know and they look so beautiful did you like my brother-in-law's police puppy yeah he's beautiful he is a sweetie he's very wiggly um this week we read our chapters through the themes of pride and privilege how did you find that i really had to school myself not to think pride and prejudice every single time 
I, I know we <laughs> split it. We did it a bit differently this week where you took pride and I took privilege. Yeah, I found it really good to sit within that. And I definitely felt like my relationship to privilege has changed from when I what I understood it to be before I started becoming a little more socially aware. Like I still decided to read the section through the same, through both lenses of privilege is mm-hmm. like these things are conferred upon you and privileges and you get more because you have certain things right yeah how did you find reading through pride i found it quite challenging with the other sections i thought like yes intuitively i just saw them mm. whereas i felt i had to work a bit more with pride and privilege originally when i read through it i was thinking more of pride as a sense of like the ego you know you're a proud person and it's a thing about ego and then I remembered that oh you there's another aspect of pride like you can have pride in your work you can be proud of other people there's so I had to kind of rejig how I thought about it which was really interesting um should we do the summaries yes let's do that uh chapter 20 Sean weighs his options he decides to stay at the Malvern stables for core Chapter 21, Puck decides to train early in the morning and considers it a good day's work. Chapter 22, Sean meets Malvern at the tea house where actual villain Benjamin Malvern condescends to let him ride Cora in the races. In chapter 23, Puck gets to a ride into town with Thomas Grattan, who also picks up Sean Kendrick on the way. Sean offers a water horse to Puck. Kinda, maybe. Um, in chapter 24, Puck and Finn disagree over principles. Dory Maud gives Puck more work so she can pay for better hay for Dove. Chapter 25, Sean puts Mutt Malvern in his place. Actual snack, George Holly sees all of this. He is still very handsome. And chapter 26, Puck goes to the cliffs to meet Sean and sees him on core, heart eyes. Sean offers to race the bay mare with Dove and almost gets pulled into the sea. Puck tells him they are friends. Chapter 27, Sean returns to the stables in a better mood and encounters actual snack, George Holly again. Actual snack, George Holly. Official title. Oh, so what was your favorite part? I just want to know what was your favorite part of this section because I have a favorite part and I want to know if it's the same. Okay, so my favorite part is definitely the race between Puck and Sean. Um, I think there's so much happens in that chapter. There's just so much going on. There's so many things that I've circled that's got nothing to do with pride or privilege, but I'm like, yes, 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 I'm here for this. Yeah, so much of my marginalia does not have anything to do with our themes this week. Yeah. I was just like, heart eyes, underlining, drawing pictures. Yeah. yeah. I did lots of hearts. From a pride point of view, I thought the chapter that was most important was the one where Mutt and Sean races. Like, I thought that was a real one where there was a, a lot in that chapter. Where they were at the gallops, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of feelings about that one. Mostly I thought that Sean was a little bit overreaching in his pride. Yeah, and that's something that I kind of wanted to talk about is the way that wounded pride affects your behavior. So, you know, you do things that you know fundamentally are actually dumb. Like, you know this is a bad decision, but because you've been hurt and your pride has been wounded and your ego has been wounded, you do these reckless things. So, you know, you could say that with Mutt and Fundamental, like, that is a wild thing for him to have done, but his pride was wounded. And the more I thought about it, even Puck saying that she was going to enter the Scorpio races was an act of wounded pride. Because if you think about pride being the sense that your self-worth has been challenged, and the fact that Gabe was like, I'm leaving. That is like, she could read that as saying, I'm not worthy of staying. Like he's, I'm not worth yeah. it. He's not going to stay for me. So that's wounded pride. And also the fact that he had made plans with friends before he told them, like that compels her to make this, this call that she's going to ride in the race. So that's wounded pride. And then Sean beating Mutt in the race and being quite like bold about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this one line in that section where he says, you know, I say I've chosen the Bay Mare for him. I think they'll be a good match. Like such a big oof. Like, you know, Mutt's going to hate this. 
Yeah. You have just massively overstepped the bounds and then you beat him in the race. Yeah. It's all about humiliating Mutt. It's yeah. about taking away Mutt's pride because Mutt has that privilege. Yeah. You know, Sean feels Mutt has overstepped the bounds by what he did with Fundamental. And so he's just become reckless. And he even says of himself, you know, I feel untethered and dangerous. And it's a deadly game I'm playing. Yeah, he does. He draws a lot of comparisons between himself and Core there. Mm. Like they're both water horses out of water. Yeah. And he treats himself like he's core. Yeah, definitely. Like dangerous and wild. And we know that Mutt will go to extreme lengths because of his pride. And Sean won't step aside because of his pride either, because he won't let. Yes, he loves core, but it's also a point of pride. Like he's trained core and he doesn't want Mutt on core. This thing between the two of them could be massively destructive. And if Sean was smart, he might go, actually, nah, I'm stepping aside. I'm just, I'm not going to deal with this. Yeah. I wonder if he can't. I wonder if he's seen it like building up to this point because he's coming to a crisis. Like he is coming to a point where he's going to have to make a decision. And that's part of what this story is about for Sean. It's that mm-hmm. he's he's getting to the point where he can't continue as he is. Like he knows that Mutt will take every advantage and he knows that Mutt is out for blood. And so he's just decided like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to give as good as I've been getting. Yeah. Yeah. But also I do see a lot of pridefulness in the way that he deliberately chooses. Because he does. He makes the decision to humiliate Mutt not once but twice. Yeah. He doesn't allow Mutt to get the things that his privilege would otherwise automatically confer upon him. Mm, yeah. And I think that's important to note that, yes, Mutt does have that privilege. And Sean has the privilege of actually knowing how to work with horses. Yeah. But he's had to work for that. And there's pride in that too, right? Like, I was thinking about how much pride Sean must take and how good he is at his job. Like, he's, when it, in that yeah. race chapter, he talks about, I also know all these things he knows. Like, I know this is how I get the best out of this horse. I know that the speed of the horse is not actually the only thing that matters in a race. Like, he's so knowledgeable. But also the fact that no one on Thisbeek seems to be able to survive without Sean. Like, he talks about, yeah. you know, I had to go break up a fight with these water horses. Like, of course you did, because that's just what you do. And he must take pride in that, right? Right? Like always being needed in a crisis. Yeah. So, you know, he knows that he's the best at what he does. Like there's extreme pride in that. He's probably the best on the island. Like he's like even after Malvern's story, Mm. which I thought was a very interesting story about both pride and privilege. Mm -hmm. Like it's a tall tale, right? It's not a real it's, it's embellished and embroidered. But that raised an interesting point for me as well about how pride manifests differently in different people. Mm. Like Malvern's pride is almost like he wants recognition. It's like an aggressive pride because he's like, you know, what do you think of that? I've told you the story. What do you think of that? It's kind of like respect me. Yeah, he's, he's, he's looking for the call and response. Yeah, which is the complete antithesis of Sean's pride, which is quiet and is through diligence and it's through being really good. Like it feels more intuitive, more earned than Malvern's who's just out there taking it. He's monologuing yeah he's an actual villain (laughs) i did find it interesting that he said and i i thought this was worth discussing he only had shoes on his feet and the bruises on his skin that's how he started in horses and i thought well there's somebody who's had a really terrible childhood like that's what that suggests to me but the story of him using a bit of folklore and able to back this horse that was unbackable an unbackable man killer he's drawing himself in comparison to sean like it's not a genuine comparison a terrible horse is not the same thing as a kapalushka and sean is not the same kind of person that benjamin malvern is benjamin malvern has traveled around to amass his wealth and he's he's his goal is to never be poor again which is very different than i want a roof over my head and reins in my hand 
And also, like, Sean was so young when he started working for Malvern, right? Like, he was still a child. Yeah, so he said he's lived in that flat above the stables for nine years. So he was a 10-year-old living in a tiny apartment by himself. It's craziness. I still have to remind my nine-year-old to brush her teeth. Where are child protection services? I just... Need a guardian. Yet again, I have to insist. Sean needed a parent, and Mutt needed a mother. Or at least he needed a parent who wasn't... Yeah, who wasn't a villain. I also thought about how delicate Pride is. Puck wants an advance on the teapot. She won't strip... Like, she doesn't want charity, and Dory Maud won't give it to her either. She's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a bank, but you can help me set up the stall and I can give Mm. you some money. It's like, people are finding ways to help Puck without straight up helping her. You know, it's kind of like... It's hidden, and I thought Thomas Grattan in particular was doing this subtle caretaking. He's like, have a biscuit, Puck. Does your brother need an apprenticeship? But it's never like straight up, hey, let me help you. It's like, yeah, it's subtle and this hidden kind of thing. I actually loved that moment where he offered Finn the apprenticeship. I thought it was fantastic because the reason he did that, it wasn't because he'd ever looked at Finn and thought that's a great kid. It was because he carried that cart home. Mm. Here's this skinny kid, tiny kid, carrying this huge cart by himself, a pony cart. Thomas Scratton thinks it's funny, but he also thinks it's heroic. He says, "Where's your her- how is your heroic brother, the one with the cart? And she's mortified. She's just yes, like, so mortified. her pride is injured yeah. because here's her brother carrying a pony cart home. But it actually kind of led to an opportunity that, you know, for a different kid, it would have been an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, just mm, these things we do. That's such a delicate thing, the ego, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure having to work with my two at the moment because my my younger one just has no like he just doesn't care what other people think of him he just wants to do what he wants to do the dream but his older sister oh yeah he's yeah he's he's got it all figured out he's just doing he does him <laughs> but you know my daughter she's much more social cues from other people so she kind of goes oh i'm a bit embarrassed when he does this or that and i said well don't be embarrassed is he embarrassed no he's having a great time can you do anything to change him no so it's not your job. Don't worry about it. But mm. yeah, you do have to worry kind of about what, like other people embarrassing you maybe, or like how they reflect on you. That's definitely a thing. It's definitely a teenage thing as well, right? Like remember the mortification you felt as a teenager, just being out in public with your parents, like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> or like when my younger sisters were absolute rat bags and I was like, I don't know them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's one of the things that brings me genuine joy is when I see a teenager and you know how they just kind of fold in on themselves and I'm, I'm watching them in public and they're with their parents and they're just like cringing. And I'm like, I remember being like that and thinking that everyone's looking at me and everyone's judging me and no one cares. Like, that's the thing. Like no one actually cares, but you feel it so acutely. And when I see someone doing that, I'm like, oh, I've been there. Much sympathies to you. Whereas I'm like looking at the mom like, I see your kid doing that. She's like, you see this? I see it too. Isn't it ridiculous? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, I've got like the mom solidarity look down. Like, this is, this is not a yeah. good time. <laughs> it's okay. In a few years, they'll forget all about this. Truth. Yeah. Um, how about you? Where did you see the privilege come through? Oh my gosh. So I thought they were, I thought there were a couple of really interesting points I mean, there's a lot of the obvious privilege that Benjamin Malvern has, and Sean really draws this as like, oh, he's got like a well-cared-for ugliness of the perpetually wealthy. Mm. 
And then, like, immediately on the heels of that, you hear that Benjamin Malvern has, yes, worked for everything and pulled himself up from his bootstraps. And, like, it's meant to be ambiguous. I don't think we're supposed to know which story is true. I I do think that whatever he did to get where he is, it involved taking advantage or maybe hurting other people. He doesn't seem like the kind of person who was just lucky. Mm. He's very calculated, isn't he? Like, there's something very cold Shrewd. there. Yeah. I did think that there was a lot of privilege in his wealth now that Sean sees but maybe doesn't resent. He doesn't resent the things that privilege confers, but he just resents that Benjamin Malvern expects those things to be conferred. But there were some things that really stuck out to me, like Sean got the benefit of the doubt with Fundamental. The whole time you're in Sean's perspective, you're on tenterhooks, you're worried that, you know, he's going to get fired. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, you know, Benjamin Malvern actually looks at him and says, your jacket tells me the story of what happened. You know, he isn't in a position to counteract Mutt's story because it's Mutt, mm. you know, it's the son of his employer. And he's like, well, I can't go against that. And yeah. Malvern's like, well, your jacket tells me everything I need to know. And that does show a side of Malvern that does actually see things and maybe is more in tune with like what's going on than you'd necessarily expect. Yeah, he says, I don't know how it's going to escape his canny father that Mutt was on the point instead of Quinn Daly. He knows Benjamin Malvern well enough to know that he's going to pick up on all of the things that Mutt's doing. I like that he was given the benefit of the doubt. And I thought it was actually quite a rare privilege that he was given the opportunity to say something. Whether or not he thought he could say something, it didn't seem like to me that Benjamin Malvern was going to punish him for speaking out against Mutt. It seemed like he was checking to see if Sean would say something in his own defense. Yeah. He'd already decided what story was true, but he wanted Sean to say it. And that is kind of confirmed as well when he asks at the end, you know, why did you jump in the water after Fundamental? He's like, well, why did you do what you did? Because he doesn't actually, I don't think he understands Sean. Like he does, he can't, he's so motivated mm. by power and money and Sean is not. And to him, he's like, what is this? Yeah, that, that moment where he sees him for the first time and goes like, why would you jump in the water after a horse? Like that was, that was my son's horse. Mm. Like that was a Malvern horse. I thought that was so beautiful because it just instantly shows that he has enough horses he doesn't care. Mm. fundamental was lost yes um and Benjamin Malvern minds but like because Sean cared that's what he's saying he's seeing that Sean actually cares and I think that was like that's something I underlined as a point of pride as well he's like Sean says he was my charge like for him yeah. it's just like of course of course I did that and I think that comes through again later when he talks about how he couldn't look at any of the horses when he's walking through the stable because he, he felt ashamed he feels that guilt from losing losing fundamental and that's because it's a pride thing I actually thought of you a lot when I was reading this because I know you like a job well done and you like people who are Love good it. at their jobs I was like <laughs> this is the chapter for Jen this is this is her chapter for Sean's excellence I really relate it to Sean because I am a perfectionist and not in the fun way that people say that in job interviews we're like I'm a perfectionist no in the crippling way where I need to go to therapy because I'm a perfectionist like those are two different things that I think people do not understand yeah. it's I'm not going to start it at all because I don't know enough about it to do it perfectly and I can never be happy with anything I do because I cannot achieve perfection because perfection does not exist right and I just it's entirely subjective and for me like the thing that motivates me is for people to think that I'm good at my job so I really relate to Sean on this level where he's just like you know losing fundamental is actually you know he was distracted he was distracted on the boat and he a horse died because of that like that kind of guilt you put on yourself when you feel like you haven't done a good enough job or you've made one yeah. tiny mistake which is a totally reasonable mistake like there are murder horses yeah but you take it so hard and he's taking this really difficult and he cannot look the other horses in the 
in the face. I know. He can't, he has to go and, like, comfort himself with Kor, who's also not like any of the other horses, right? Like, yeah. I thought it was really interesting that Sean spent so much time, like, his downtime in the stables as well. Like, he has the right, the privilege. He's able to go and do that. He's mm. trusted to, like, wander around doing whatever. Because he's so good with these horses and because he's, like, the head trainer, he has access to all of the horses and all of the things. And he does have, like, he, he's always busy. He always has jobs to do. Um, and he doesn't have to answer to anyone for his time. And that is a privilege of, I guess, being good at your job, right? Like, you are bestowed this trust that other people may not have. Yeah. And I think even the moment when the two buyers that he didn't know heard his name and were talking between them and Mutt was like, oh, what was that? But they were saying Sean's name. Like, that must have been, like, such a good, like, yes, like a pride moment. I would have felt proud. Yeah. And what I loved about that moment as well, when Mutt tries to be all smarmy and he's like, oh, you know, even Sean can't ride two at once. And Sean's, like, thinking to himself, I don't think you can even ride one. One at one time. I love that part so much. In prior chapters, you know that they, they're not on good terms and there's obviously animosity there. And then with Fundamental, you're like, oh, wow, this is like serious business. I think this is when I really realized how deep this dislike goes when he says, it only takes me half a moment to recognize the silhouette as Mutt Malvern's and something in my gut snarls and turns. Like that's such a vivid description, like snarls and turns, like it's alive. It's That's like a dislike that goes real deep. Like that's hate, mate. You get much more history from those interactions than we do in the text I think like, yeah even Puck sees it when they're first talking outside the butcher she says there's something like anger in both their faces and then she realizes that they like it's hatred they hate mm. each other both so much I wonder if it began when Sean moved into the little flat above the stables I wonder if Mutt has just always hated someone else being there when it should have been him it feels like he wants the pride of what he has like he wants to be the pride of Melbourne stables but he can't be because even though he has the the privilege of being there and being the son Sean actually is doing the work and so he's conferred those privileges and it's kind of like the privilege of just expecting that because of who he is like I should just have this but not being willing to put in the work like he doesn't do any of the hard work who knows what he could have been capable of if maybe he had applied himself just saying but But he just expects it, right? He expects the respect and he expects to be good on the horses and he expects to win just because of who he is. Another place I saw privilege, which I thought was just really beautiful, was Sean has a thing about things earn their names. Like Mm. this horse that he's working with, he's put a lot of time into her, but she hasn't earned a name yet. Mm. And then later when he meets Puck at the top of the cliffs, you know, he says, what do I call you? Your name is written down as Kate, but Thomas Cratton called you something else. And she goes, Puck, some people call me that. And then he says, she doesn't invite me to be one of them. And I'm like, you're right, because her friends call her Puck. And she hasn't decided if you're going to be a friend yet. You know what stood out to me in that chapter, just on names, is like he immediately calls Dove Dove, like immediately. He, he, he refers to her both in his internal monologue and also when he refers to her, he's like, once he knows her name is Dove, he's like, of course, Dove. That's gorgeous. I didn't notice that. I love that you picked that. Also, Cora is already in love with Dove. Did you see what oh a fool he was making of himself? And I underlined it, underlined it, and wrote, "So will you, Sean Kendrick? Like, make an idiot yeah. of yourself." Like, <laughs> Cora is just saying what Sean wishes he could be doing. But then he describes the horse, like that he's trying to offload to Puck. He's like, "She's moody, she's slippery, and she's in love with the ocean." And I'm like, "Mate, you're describing yourself." Yes, yes, thank <laughs> you. I saw that too. I loved that. 
Yes, 100%. I agree with that. At the end of the chapter, though, when he's lost his saddle and the horse has gone into the sea and he's just at the last minute thrown himself off and Puck has watched this whole thing. She she like trots up to him on Dove and she goes, you can call me Puck. And I'm like, I'm here for this. I love this. She gives him the privilege of her name. Yeah, it's so good. And I love how both of them, like when he's in the truck with her, she's like, he smells of hay and horses and that makes me like him a little bit. And then he also observes her. and Like, like the doves eating her hair. It warms me to both of them. I'm like, you guys. They're the same. This is following on from like this, what you said last week about them and their assessment of the Carroll brothers. He observes so much of the interaction between Dove and Puck. Like, you know, the fact that she adjusts her saddle while sitting on the back of Dove. And he's like, oh, I would never do that. Even on core, he wouldn't do that, you know? And like, he's just always noticing the way they, they're interacting. And it's just so lovely. I thought that there was a really interesting moment where we see that Thomas Grattan has a lot of privilege and wants to confer it upon the people that he values and respects. He wants to give them biscuits and he wants to give them rides and he likes them both and like he's so nice and lovely and he's just like every farm dad I've ever known in my life. Like get on in the truck, get in the back you dog, have a biscuit so I don't eat them all. Haha, ha, make a little joke at your expense. I love that she was like I'm going to poison him slowly. Yeah, I, I wrote that down as well. Like that underlined that. Um I feel like he's really trying to, like, elicit a response out of both of them. Like, he talks to to Sean about Mutt throwing a tantrum in the shop, and we Mm. know that he doesn't really have any patience or time for the Malverns, right? Yeah. And then, like, tries to rile them up. He's like, oh, you don't need Mutt for competition because Puck's here. And he just kind of looks at her and she's like, oh, to not say anything at all seems worse than saying something awful. In the chapter where Sean is sitting with Malvern in the tea shop, there's this this quote where he says, you know, he looks at me to see if I'm disappointed that my legs have grown into the soil of Thisbe or something yeah. like that. Like, you know, because for Malvern, he could never settle. Like that's yeah. on this ruin of an island. Rude. Rude. Very rude. He does. He, yeah. I love that parallel that Benjamin Malvern views Thisbe as this like ruined space. But yeah. Sean is like, I'm never going back to the mainland and I love it here. And yeah. And then in the, Thomas Grattan is talking to Puck about how much she obviously loves Thisbe, right? And she's like, it's like my heart or something. And it's quiet in the cabin. And then Sean says, I have a horse for you. Yeah. So it's when he hears her say how much she is of Thisbe that he's like, ooh. Yeah, you've earned this opportunity that I might be able to give you. Because if she had said nothing whole right, he never would have offered her the horse, right? Like, yeah, I got that too. I do feel like those things are distinctly related that Thomas Grattan sees and acknowledges Puck's inability to leave i love i love the way they love this so much sean sees all those things in puck he sees that her hair is the color of the cliff grass and you know at once she is a cross child and something older and wild something grown from this coarse island island soil soil. it's just so lovely that whole chapter so much happens so much unsaid though as always with them right yeah yeah they feel their feelings and nobody has their heart anywhere near their sleeves the way that they've grown into the the soil of Thisbe, it's like, you know, those trees, you know, the gum trees that are growing off of a top of a boulder or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like they're close to each other and their roots are all tangled up. And now you couldn't get them apart. Like the, the more they're growing in this book, the more their roots get tangled up together, even in this terrible island soil. Do you think Sean views himself as privileged? I don't think he does, but I think he is. 
Yeah, because I was just thinking in that chapter as well, the fact that, you know, well, Dove and Puck makes this arduous journey down to the water because she's like, oh, we must be racing on the beach. And she's down there and she's like, where's Sean? And Sean's just up on the cliff being like, where's Puck? And he's mm. racing up and down. And that's his privilege because he's done it so many times and he knows the rules and Puck didn't realize you didn't have to race on the actual beach. Well, he's never had anyone, he's never had anyone to share these things with. Like, I feel like he's the mm. kind of person who learns all this stuff and takes it in and then is like, that's useful to me. I'll keep it. Whereas with Puck, she learns all these things and then immediately puts them back out into the world. Yeah, and actually on the point of Puck learning something. You <laughs> Are know you going to say like, what I'm going to say? <laughs> oh, I don't know. But you know when she's like trying to make Sean race and yeah. she's like, I'm, it's curious the way she phrases this, the won't you? And I'm like, that's what she learned from, from Peg. Peg. Yes. <laughs> like a few chapters before. Like, she did. And she immediately applies it. Like, mm. power to you. I, she noticed Sean in the truck not saying anything. And that made Thomas Gratton talk. And she's like, I'm going to have to remember that. And then she later does that with him in that chapter two, where she's like trying to get him to tell her that the Kapolishka are faster. She just waits. And he's like, oh, I have to answer her. Okay, I'll talk. And he doesn't even know mm. she's she's Sean Kendrick, Sean Kendrick. And also like... <laughs> In the car when she says, I would like to be terrifying. I glow her at him. I'm like, oh, you want to be terrifying like Pig? That's what you want. Yes, but she's like a cross child. I get it. I always want to be terrifying and I'm so cute. I cannot be terrifying. That's me as well. I'm always like, I am the knight, but I'm not yes. actually the knight. <laughs> I too would like to be terrifying, Puck, but I am also a cross child. I get it. Aww. Um, There's a little bit of privilege, I think, that George Holly has, mm-hmm. but he is a lot more careful about it so I would say he's the most self-aware character in the entire book he uses his privilege really responsibly so he does take a moment to observe like he likes Sean so he's going to give Sean that time but he doesn't like abuse that friendship before it's solid Mm. and he doesn't make people feel uncomfortable if he can help it like he tries to meet people on their level and I think that there's you have to be pretty confident and comfortable in yourself to be able to do that but he does it and he really tries to put people at ease and I really respect that about him I like that he works hard to just be approachable Mm. and that's something you really can do when you're not constantly stressed or sleep deprived or worried about the local villain taking your entire house away from you like he is so comfortable and he has so much wealth and he's very content with his life that he can be this like joyous happy person but he doesn't use it to make people feel bad and I think that there's something to that like it's he has a lot but he also doesn't like rub anyone's face in it yeah I think that's fair I find him very interesting as well like it's such a complete juxtaposition against Malvern because they both would argue the same kind of privilege the same kind of wealth but they're very different humans and this is idea that money does not necessarily make you a terrible person this is a choice that you have made right yeah I think it's important for Sean to know that there are people out there who can be as wealthy as Benjamin Malvern but also not be like as terrible as Benjamin Malvern because he's a very ambitious person Mm. And he doesn't let himself admit that. It's also this idea that, you know, you can't be ambitious and kind. Um, It's something Mm. that, you know, the prime minister talks about here a lot about how she, people think she, you can't be a strong leader and be empathetic. And she's like, I absolutely do not agree with that. Like you can Mm. be kind and you can be empathetic and that does not take away from your strength. And I feel like maybe that's something that Malvern hasn't learned. He thinks he has to be cold and shrewd to be the best. But George Holly is like, no, you can be a decent human being and still be successful, right? He doesn't miss a trick either. Like he's, he's just as 
as canny as Benjamin Malvern without any of the nastiness. It's not a chess game to him. He's just going to ask for something, and if it doesn't work out, that's fine. Mm, he's happy in himself. Um, How good was it when Sean just threw that just a horse lover back at him yes. at the end of the race? He's like, They're so similar, too. I feel like this is the grown-up that Sean needed when he was younger to give him that, like, this is how you person. Unrelated to our themes, but that's the thing I wanted to talk about was um, Sean says, and he says, because always, always my father feared the sea more than he feared heights. And I don't know why that really jumped out at me. It's like this idea of his dad being so scared of the sea and Sean is the sea, as previously discussed. Well, I wonder if that makes Puck the heights then, if she's the cliff. Yeah. At one point he was looking at her and he like he had to remind himself. He was like, I feel like it's like fundamental all over again. But he's like, but I'm not drowning. And like he doesn't recognize that intensity for what it is. Or maybe he does. And he's like, nope, just going to put it in the category of trying to save a horse. Yeah. And maybe because he's never like, he's always just been working and focusing on the horses and he's never allowed himself the time to make that connection, right? Yeah. I wondered also, like, he seems so lonely and he seems like he prefers it that way, but there's definitely a moment where he says there might be a person I would turn the pockets of my heart out for but it wouldn't I can't imagine that person Mm. being Benjamin Malvern and I feel like he has had a friend maybe that he has been that close to or maybe it was his father or maybe it was his mother but that is not the case anymore and he knows that he can't just give anyone these parts of himself Mm. like it's a risk to do that he doesn't feel like he has the privilege of sharing himself with other people it's too much of a risk people like that are often like it seems like he was bullied quite badly Mm. so he's just become very quietly competent maybe much bullied him i think that is part of it i think if you have two boys who grow up together and there's a constant competition between them and one of them is very powerful but the other one is very skilled then the skilled one is going to become as skilled as possible so that they can reclaim some of that power and we see sean actually acting on that in this chapter Mm. a little bit more i mean we all know that mutt is a dropkick we all know that he's going to turn out badly I want to sympathize with Mutt because, you know, like, I sympathize with Malfoy. And I feel like, yes, Mutt also has a cold, calculating, uncaring father. Mm. I don't know how much his dad pushes him. Like, we know that Lucius Malfoy pushes Draco quite a bit. I don't know if Mutt really has that or if it's just assumed that he would be... He's the heir apparent, right? So it's just assumed that he'd have that. But he doesn't really have anyone. Yeah, it's... He's not being looked after. Yeah. He's not an illegitimate son in the way that Jon Snow is in Game of Thrones, where he's just, like, set on the outskirts. Like, he's very much accepted, and he has the Malvern name and all these things. But it's like, what is your beef, mate? Yeah, I wonder what he wants. Like, really, he does have a lot more privilege just on paper than Sean does. But it's almost like he has to keep reminding himself and Sean of that constantly so that he can keep, like, he needs to keep the status quo. He needs to keep Mm, himself on top. Otherwise... He, he doesn't feel happy or settled. And he's not happy or settled even when he wins. Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah, it's an interesting one. I would like to know what would make Mutt happy. I think even if he did ride core and win, he wouldn't be happy. It reminds me of people who are like, if I just get this thing, I'll be happy. Or if I just lose extra three kilos, then I'll be happy. Or I just yeah. listen. And you're always chasing this like, oh, just then, then, then happiness is waiting for me. And it's the idea that happiness comes from inside you. It's not this external thing yeah. that you've decided to latch onto. And And like stop being future focused or if only focused. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'll always be chasing something. And I feel like that's where Mutt is. He's just always going to be chasing something. And so he'll always be unhappy because there's no destination. 
I feel a lot of pity for him because he has the opportunity to do the right thing and he keeps not doing it. And at a certain point, you have to be old enough and mature enough to realize that no matter how damaged you are, you can't go around just murdering horses for fun or trying to make people look bad because you think it'll make you look better. Yeah, you have to take accountability for your actions, right? You can't just expect to always be pardoned or for the world to like just fold around you. He wants all of the privilege of being a Malvern without any of the work, and he wants all of the benefit of his father's name without actually learning any of the skills that Sean has had to like really employ. And presumably that his father also has to have built this empire, right? He must have had mm. some skill to get to where he is. When they were having the conversation in the tea house, Sean and Benjamin Malvern, like the idea of what Benjamin Malvern has is really appalling to him. He doesn't want the horses and the stables and the trappings, but he does want to have that independence and he wants to mm. be free of Malvern. And I'm wondering if he thinks that he can't be ambitious because he'll become Malvern or if he just really doesn't want to have the jobs anymore because he seems so in tune with it and he really loves his work and he loves his horses and you can do that kind of work like you can mm. have your own stables and do that i wonder if he just thinks that if he got so big he would lose touch with himself or yeah it's almost like he thinks that's the only future if he takes that path and he doesn't want yeah. that i did love that line where he said i cannot sit here drinking this tea and tell him that what i want is to be free of him yeah there was a lot of noting how other benjamin malvern is in this chapter too his foreign tea at the mm. galloping on an alien island like he kept referring to him as someone else as belonging to somewhere else having the trappings of someone else I'm still intrigued about how much time Malvern actually spends on Thisbe. I've now got it in my head that he actually doesn't spend that much time there at all. You know, this ruin of an island and in previous chapters Sean referred to him coming and going as he pleases. I'm like, maybe he's just never around. Maybe he is an absentee father and he just leaves Mutt on the island as like, well. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, like, how much of the coming and going is him buying horses and trading horses? And, like, maybe that's the bit that Sean doesn't want to have. Maybe he just wants to work with water horses. Have a water horse only stable, why not? And a little side yard for Dove, because they're going to get married and have babies. <laughs> and Dove needs to have a stable where she's safe. Of course. Cole will look after Dove, because he's now in love with her. And I love him for it. For, like, just such a short section, we had tons of marginalia. I know, so much going on. In terms of non-pride uh, and privilege sections... One thing that I did want to mention was I noticed that there was another church parallel and you know like how last time we talked about the parallel between the church and the stable and when he's in the tea room he talks again it's like a pleasant coffin or a suffocating church. I'm like what is with the church parallels in this town? Yeah he's not comfortable inside buildings even mm -hmm. old ones. He wants to live outside I think. He says he wants a roof over his head but does he? <laughs> he wants to live on the beach is what he wants. I think so. Like, the strongest images we have of him are, like, in that cave, the tidal cave, right? Like, on the beach. He's just, he's outside. He's an outside person. Yeah. Whereas, like, Puck is her kitchen and her kitchen table and her stable. Like, she is those buildings. She is her home. That's Homely. part of her. Yeah. Like, she's the hearth. Yeah, she's warm. She's warmth and comfort. Mm. And can burn you if you stick your hand in. Yeah, there were just so many lines that I just loved in this chapter. Like, I love when he says, I am the darkest thing in this room. I'm like, oh, just love that line. So the bit about the jacket in the tea room, and he mm. couldn't imagine her holding the jacket. Yeah, I can't imagine her delicate white hands touching it. I'm like, woof. Well, later, Puck takes his jacket home to wash it. Mm. So that's a thing I'm going to look out for. I want to know what, like, I want to know what her hands look like on his jacket. I also loved how it... 
he's like, I don't swear, but I considered the shape of the word in my mouth. And I just felt like that was so Sean, like so considered with his words. So always silent and just holding his tongue. But I really love, I love that he knows all of the old buildings on Skarmouth. Like, why does he know that? Is he the Skarmouth historian? Should he just open a museum? Museum and stables. Yeah, there you go. That's your, look, Sean, we have done your career advising and this is what you should do. <laughs> You can hire Finn as a pastry chef. Yes, please. Finn, the pastry chef, would be amazing. Speaking of Finn, I loved when she describes a Bedford whose highlights and grill make it look like Finn when he's making his frog face. Um, Gabe was notably absent this this section. Like, he was not there. No, the only presence Gabe has is in, like, the fact that, like, Puck is in the race at all, right? That is Mm. Gabe's omnipresence. It's just that she's doing this. Like, there's this moment where she's like, I don't feel brave at all. And it's like, you're doing this because, you know, for such a pure motive, but it's also the wounded ego. (laughs) And it's like... Before, she said something to the effect of, like, I feel like I would be so relieved to give it up, but also now I don't want to. Yeah, it becomes a pride thing. And I, I thought that was especially true when she talks about the end of the work and she's like, done a good day's training and she's really proud of the work that they've done training. Yeah, and she's like, I don't know how fast we were, but right now it doesn't matter one victory at a time. And I thought that was so telling because she's anticipating more victories. Mm, mm-hmm. Even when she meets Sean, you know, she's like, I won't even entertain the idea of getting on this water horse if they don't beat Dove. Like, she's so proud of Dove and she's actually so confident in her ability on Dove. And it's like, it's a bit of a shift, I think, about her motivations for entering the race is changing. Yeah, she's getting more into it. She's thinking more like she's in the race for the sake of being in the race. Uh, yeah, and when she has that conversation with Finn about why she's even thinking about riding the water horse, right? It's because her motivations has actually changed. Yeah, it's hard to have principles when you're hungry or when you need mm. to keep your house or... It's true. Principles are for people with privilege. Yeah, you really see that with George Holly, right? Like, he is so well-principled and such a genial character, but he's extremely comfortable. He's out there socializing genially, happily. Sean's just holding it together. Puck's barely holding it together. Gabe's looking for solace in the bottom of a glass. And you don't risk anything for your principles when you're privileged, right? There's actually nothing on the line for you. Yeah, I, I wonder what Benjamin Malvern thinks he would lose. I wonder what edge he feels like he has. It must be Sean. Sean is the edge. But he doesn't value Sean as a person. He values Sean as an asset. And if someone came along who was better than Sean, then he'd just throw Sean in the bin, basically. Like, there's no... I caught the little bit that Malvern said about the virgins. He made a blindfold out of a virgin's dress. And I thought that was really interesting because that suggested like a folklore Mm. thing. And I wondered about like how much does he value Sean's ability to deal with fairies? Sean's connection to the water horses is very intuitive and understanding, but also very much like ritual based. Like he's got the iron, he's got the red ribbon or the red leather. He's got spells and he he does things in, what is it, Widdershins, which is counterclockwise. Like Mm -hmm. he does all these things in very specific ways that are like fairy related. So I think that Malvern understands and respects that there's this other like dimension to their world, which I don't know that you would find on the mainland. So maybe Sean's like kind of a necessity. I don't know. There was another telling thing where he said, you know, there's this legend about water horses being caught in the rain would want to stay wet. And he's like, I wouldn't believe it until I tried it for myself. And it turns out to be true with the Bay Mare, doesn't it? Like, she just won't go anywhere. She only wants to be in the ocean. And it reminds me of something that happened a few sections ago that I wanted to talk about and then forgot. There's talk about people going out in groups to catch a water horse. Everyone goes out together to try and get in. You know, Sean has to go and rescue them when they get into trouble with the Carol brothers come and get him. Mm. But every time Sean goes to catch a horse, he's on his own. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if that's why Cor is so important to him because Cor is the one that he caught by himself. And also why is Cor then Benjamin Malvern's? 
Yeah, how did that happen? I suppose he was already working for Benjamin Melvin and any horse he catches. Is- yeah, I'm wondering if there's something like that. Like, that's why Sean wants to be free of him, because he knows that any work he does is, is like Malvern work and it's not Kendrick work. Malvern is able to provide him with food and shelter and a wage and access to Cor, but he doesn't actually get the privilege of keeping his own horse. Like, Cor is his horse. Mm. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Everyone who sees the two of them together knows. Because, you know, Sean says that he can't go because he can't imagine Mutt riding Cor. Like, the idea is just so abhorrent to him. I wonder if Malvern has ever felt like that about a horse since that golden one. I wonder if he's ever had a horse that, like, he loved so much it broke his heart to be apart from it. Or if it just became, like, I'm going to win this horse. I'm going to make it happen for myself, no matter what the cost. And I will use whatever tools I have at my disposal to make it happen. Yeah, it's about the dominance, right? Mm, it's about coming out on top. Mm. I wondered a little bit about the pride element with um, the Connollys and their protectiveness as being read as pride. Like, Puck doesn't want anybody in her business. She doesn't want anybody to say anything to her. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I did think it was quite telling when she's in the, the truck and she's like, sometimes I feel like everyone on this island knows my business. <laughs> she's very proud of being a Connolly, but she wants to be above it. She doesn't want to be part of it. It felt like it almost came as a shock to her because she's like, well, I'm a Connolly. Like, you should not be talking about me. Like, this is none of your business. Like, I am untouchable. Um, Is there anything you learned this week that you wanted to reflect on? Yeah, look, I think Puck has begun to understand that she is part of Thisbe, which means that she's not just a Connolly anymore. And that's something I want to look out for. And I think in my own way, this year with the pandemic, with quarantine, with locking down, I've actually quite enjoyed doing the Connolly thing myself. Mm. It's just me and my family and I really like us. We're all in, in my house together and like I've just really enjoyed it. But I need to remember I still have friends that I need to see and I still have people I need to talk to and I should probably not just be so content. Like I'm very content. <laughs> I really like having everyone home. But I think it's going to be a good reminder for me to also put myself out there and not just let myself be connolly like and mm. only have a few little things going on. I think it would be okay for me to diversify this. So I think that's what I'm taking for myself. How about you? I think the thing that really stood out for me this week was just this idea of Sean and how good he is at his job. And also him realizing the value in that and using that power. Maybe not in the way he should be. I like that he's human. I like that he's not perfect. That that makes me like him a bit better because he's kind of crappy. <laughs> he's kind of a rat bag, isn't he? <laughs> But it made me think as well about like kind of just trusting yourself. It's okay to be like, I'm good at my job. This is what I'm good at. And I'm going to trust my decisions because this is what I do. And this is what I know. And backing yourself the way that Sean does. And like, that's something that I want to take away from this as well. Because sometimes, even though I'm really good at my job and that's a point of pride for me, sometimes someone will say something. I'll be like, oh yeah, maybe. Even though I know that it's not the right thing, I don't back myself to be like, okay, I I, I don't want to be someone who's not open to other ideas, but it's Mm. like, totally get where you're coming from, but this is why I think that this decision is the right decision and I I feel like Sean is like yeah he would absolutely do that and be like no so yeah that's something I'm taking from this week yeah um who do you want to spotlight this week who what character like so you know I went back and forth on this because I actually wanted to spotlight George Holly and then I'm like but why he's not in it that much he's barely mentioned but I just like everything that you mentioned about him about the fact that he uses his privilege and it like in such a positive way and he's just there and I just you know, he's a horse lover and that just fills me with such joy that he's just this like yeah. amazing. He's like one true ally. 
But then I thought, you know who I actually want to spotlight, and that's Dory Maud, who makes space for these poor orphan children in her shop mm. and feeds them biscuits and feeds them tea and holds space for them. And not just by, you know, getting Puck to sign her teapots and give her money for helping her set up the festival booth, but also just to to talk to them and give them advice. You know, like, I thought it was really telling when she said to Puck... I don't understand why such a clever and useful girl such as yourself, Puck, would waste so much time looking like an idiot or being dead. Like, she's so straightforward and... Yeah, she's very direct, but it's, like, it's all coming from a place of love. Yeah, and she also says to Puck when, you know, Finn storms off, she's like, boys just aren't very good at being afraid. And I think in that, like, she's actually talking about Gabe, too, because Gabe's also afraid arguably that's why he's doing everything that he's doing yeah i just think it's such a kindness to be there for puck like that and to be there for these kids in this like really constructive way i quite like dory maud like everybody needs kind of a cross auntie and she's like the cross auntie it just made me think about all the people in wellington that i call like surrogate family right and how they just took in this little stray and they hold space for me and they're just so kind i feel so loved and i feel like people like that are just so amazing and I I just wanted to give Dory Maud a shout out for being that person oh beautiful yeah. How about you? I'm kind of doing the flip side of the same coin. Um, so I wanted to shine a light on Thomas Grattan this week. He Aww. is a fumbling, cuckolded man <laughs> who is just kind of tone deaf. But I think he genuinely cares about people and he doesn't like people if he has a good reason not to like people. So mm. we've seen enough of Benjamin Malvern to understand that he's actually kind of a garbage fire. And we know enough about Thomas Grattan to know that he's a little bit tone deaf and sometimes he's a bit rude. But he genuinely cares about Thisbe and he cares about the kids on Thisbe. And he wants to like give them rides and share his biscuits. And like he makes his dog sit in the back so that they can have a seat. Like he's trundling along doing his best and he's very red and jolly. He's like a Santa Claus figure with his (laughs) cookies and. I don't know. I just, I feel like he's like a genuinely kind person and he wants to Mm. reward people for being good. Like he thought Finn was so heroic taking the pony cart home by himself and he's like do you think he's up for an apprenticeship like can I help this kid who's so amazing yeah I love people who are like what can I do he seems like the kind of person who goes how can I help or what can I do it reminds me of you know how when there's a disaster people always trot out this quote about like you should look for the helpers where you find the silver lining in terrible situations is you look for the helpers and I feel like Thomas Grattan is a helper he would be out there yeah he's the one who tried to diffuse the argument between Mutt and Sean I love that he helps Puck and I love that he helps Sean but I also love that he's feeling his son leaving yeah he's very sad that Beach is going but he's like trying to put a brave face on he's like can't all stay we'd fall off the edges like the island's not for everyone and yeah his grief is real but he's kind of working through it he's kind of like a village elder in a way isn't he he's... you know he might be a shepherd like he's looking after the flock that's a really good way to put it yeah. oh i love that thanks for sharing that thanks for telling me how you felt about dory maud i love to hear it i, I know that found family is a really big thing mm. in a lot of the books we read and i just really love that we get the opportunity to see so many different shapes of it in this story family is the people that you love it doesn't have to be blood right the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb absolutely it's who you choose i'm so excited for next week too because it's the scorpio festival and it's like oh it's gonna be so good and we're reading it through the themes of identity and desire chapters 28 through 32 so it's gonna be a little short section but we're gonna pick so much out of it Yeah, and there's going to be a mini love heart. (laughs) 
All right, well, let's sign off. Thank you so much for this chat. Thank you for parting with me on your birthday, which is an amazing sacrifice, especially because you have so many amazing things to do. Oh, I would never, never give up on this. This is a real highlight of my week. So thanks so much. Me too. I love it. I look forward to it. Same. It's nice to have this. Yeah, looking forward to next week. So see you then. See you then. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.